0: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wing's Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour, And Patrick Pister starts now.
1: So, the big news is, of course, Hurricane Harvey and its impact to the Gulf Coast, especially Houston, Texas. We, as a team, as the Oil and Gas Global Network team, have decided that we would get together and do this podcast to try to help victims of Hurricane Harvey. One of the ways that you can help if you're a listener of ours is we have established a GoFund account. We'll put a link in the show notes. So, it's basically gofundme.com forward slash Harvey dash restoration. We are collecting money to help with the restoration of efforts with Hurricane Harvey as OGGN, we have been very lucky and our team members have not been impacted too tremendously. We're all dry, we're all safe, we all have electricity, but so many people in Houston are not that lucky and we're going to make a difference. We're going to help those people. So if you're our listeners out there and if you'd like to help us, please donate whatever you can. a dollar, $10, $20, whatever. We have some companies that are actually starting to chip in some money as well and all of this money will go to help with the restoration efforts. And in the spirit of total transparency, we're going to publish all the transactions on the OGGN website so you can see where your money went. Uh, with that, I want to jump into the stories. The first story is, of course, the impact to the oil and gas industry. Right now, 30% of U.S. refining is offline. We're going to come back to that. That's actually the bigger story here. Um, we've seen a spike in fuel prices uh, here in the U.S. It's a, it's a two-year high spike in fuel prices because of the both the perception of the shortage of fuel, gasoline and diesel, but also the reality of the logistical shortage, and we'll get to that in a minute. The other thing you see is a spike in in diesel globally, and that's going to go on for a while. So you may not know this, but the US supplies a lot of the world with diesel fuel, China, Europe, uh, Central and South America. And our ability to refine crude into diesel fuel has been hampered quite a bit, and it's going to be a while before that um, comes back online. Because that diesel fuel is exported on a daily basis, you're going to see a spike globally in, in diesel fuel for, for a while. We actually think it's going to uh, probably stick around for about six months. And you're seeing fuel shortages here in the U.S., but the fuel shortages are not actually due to shortage of gasoline or diesel. It's actually due to logistics. So what's happening is, we simply don't have enough open roads, we simply don't have enough rail and tanker cars to get the fuel to the retail gas stations. Because of the perception that the fuel shortage is actually a real fuel shortage, you're having people go out there and fill up 55 gallon drums. And if you're listening to us, don't do that. You're making the problem worse. There's plenty of gasoline. There's plenty of diesel fuel for everybody. We just have to get it to the stations. And if you're out there taking more than your fair share, you're making the problem worse. I promise you, if you wait just a week, we'll be back to where we should be. Now, interestingly enough, I actually called this one and I called a um, shortage in uh, food, which hasn't happened yet. Um, but both of those are a simple logistics problem as far as moving parts and pieces around easily and effectively. Now, the Gulf of Mexico, I uh, 10% of all manned oil platforms in the Gulf of Mexico is shut down. This has led to a 22% drop in the Gulf of Mexico production, right? So 22% of that oil and gas coming from offshore in the Gulf of Mexico is offline. That should come back online relatively quickly. We're thinking the next probably 10 to 14 days as these platforms get checked out and, and um, made ready to go back into production. Now, here's something that ties into the refining being offline. The shipping A lot of the shipping channels in Texas are shut down. The other thing that you don't hear in the news about this is we've had a lot of flooding. Those floodwaters are going to drain into the bayous and into the rivers and into the Gulf of Mexico. Naturally, it's where gravity takes that. Well, it's not just water. It's also bringing soil, silt, sand. So we're thinking that some of these deeper uh, chip channels in Texas, which are so vital, like the Port of Houston, Corpus Christi, Baytown, may actually have uh, limits, and they may have to come back and dredge to be able to have the deep water ports open back up. If we're right about that, you're looking at three or four months of the shipping being affected here in Texas because of Hurricane Harvey. Now, what that's going to mean is we're not going to be able to export products globally. So that could uh, actually see a bit of a spike in petrochemicals and, and other fuels besides diesel. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. The other thing nobody's talking about in the news is the U.S. has just started taking uh, LNG exports to different markets in the world, everywhere from Europe to China, Asia Pacific, South America. Well, there's other comp- countries out there exporting LNG that want some of our market. We were actually first to market in a lot of this. If we can't export our LNG, which right now we can't, that means other countries will be able to grab that market share. So this is a longer-term effect by Hurricane Harvey is that some of the LNG exporters in the U.S. may actually lose some market share, and they may not be able to get it back. Now, another thing is, is we're here at Ground Zero. Um, all of us live here in Houston or in the Houston area. There are still parts of Houston today that are underwater, and I mean under 10, 12 feet of water, sometimes more, and the parts of Houston will stay submerged for another 10 to 15 days. This is going to limit workers and restoration efforts because literally parts of the Beltway, which is the one of the big loops that go around Houston parts of I-10, some major thoroughfares are underwater, which means we're not going to be able to move parts and people around. That's going to limit companies getting back online, oil and gas companies getting back online, um, because this industry is not going to let their people come back to work until it's safe. It's also going to limit restoration, right? So places where we've had uh, uh, gas pipelines have be taken offline because of the flooding. Uh, we've had pump stations taken offline because of the elect- uh, they can't be provided electricity. It's going to take a while for that to come back. Now, one of the bigger stories about all of this that I thought was really cool, because I've and uh, I got Patrick's on the uh, mic with us, Paige's on the mic with us, Jake's on the mic with us, and they haven't heard me tell this because I didn't figure this out till today. But I have, for some reason, been involved with some very, very big natural disasters. I'm not sure if this is good luck or bad luck, but when, when, when 9-11 happened that Tuesday, that Thursday, I was at Ground Zero. I was in Manhattan getting communications back online. When Katrina happened and New Orleans flooded, I was in a helicopter over New Orleans making sure we get communications once again back online. So I've been through – this is my third with with Hurricane Harvey. The thing that's different about this one is typically in the U.S., when you have a hurricane hit the Gulf Coast, a big hurricane, there's a long-term spike in fuel prices and petrochemicals because the refineries go offline, and the production of their raw feedstock, which has historically been either imported or came from the Gulf of Mexico, also takes a big hit. So you may have a spike in petrochemical fuels for, for 18 months to two years after a hurricane comes in. What's interesting about this one is our spike in fuel prices is local and it's very short time. It's already starting to drop and that's because of the shale supply. Our feedstock now comes from land in a lot of places. Think of all the well, shelf fields are. That means that hurricanes are not going to have as big an impact now and in the future to our fuel supply and to our petrochemical supply. That puts us in a pretty good competitive place. I mean, we, we hate to see a storm come in and people get, you know, hurt or even worse, but this puts us in a good place as far as a, a net exporter of both petrochemicals and fuels, because now weather can't affect our ability to export stuff as bad as it used to, which I think is is a bigger good story. But the key to all that is refining capacity. Right now with 30% of a U.S. refining capacity offline, that's huge. What I'm hoping is that the refining companies look at what's going on, look at logistically what they can do to make sure that next time a storm comes in, it doesn't have as big an impact, which makes business sense for them because they can still keep making money even after the storm rolls through. And once again, it just helps cement the U.S., place in the world as a net fuel and petrochemical exporter so that's the impact of hurricane harvey to the oil and gas industry jake
0: you want to do the storm numbers so uh harvey not only did it make landfall once but it was three times so first it hit texas near corpus christi on friday uh, and then it inched through texas before eventually returning to the gulf coast and then on wednesday it hit a second and a third time in louisiana this, this last time a storm was stronger when it made landfall in Texas than it was in 1961 with Hurricane Carlos. So it's been 56 years since we've had a hurricane. This powerful actually make landfall. This was a Category 4. Um, so it's one of the strongest storms of the 20th century. As far as actual gallons of water, there was a whole lot of estimations that were all over the place. I kind of picked one that was middle of the road. And it's about 20 trillion gallons of rain. Did you say Eastern trillion Bob. with a T? trillion with a t so that is enough water to supply new york city for five years that is a lot of water and so how many inches did we get this this number was the same across the board 51.88 inches total you know obviously it just rained for days and days and this this number alone sets a record for tropical cyclone rainfall yeah i saw that too so
1: this is a historical record for the most rain dropped by a tropical storm in the u.s ever
0: that's insane um so how many how many uh, Texans were affected 6 million so that's about the population here and those those are people who are affected by at least 30 30 inches of rain or more Hey Jake I want to stop um, you there cuz a
1: lot of people out there uh, Paige yeah. and I were lucky enough to actually interview Mayor Turner, literally a day before all this happened, show coming out on pages, all um, the gas industry leaders podcast pretty soon. But one of the things that he's caught a little bit of flack from is he didn't order a, a mass evacuation. The reason I want to go back to that: six million people were affected. You cannot move six million people in the course of a couple hours. The last time we tried that, it was chaos, and over a hundred people died of heat stroke on the roads trying to get out of here. And if he would have done it, not only would a lot of people, a lot more people would have died, but then the roads would have been full, not just with water, but with cars, which would have hampered, hampered rescue efforts. So he had two hard choices to make. I made the right one and kept people in place. Um, so I just want to, want to go back to that six million Texans. If, if you know, Houston was you know, 100,000 or 200,000, yeah, an evacuation would have made sense. You literally cannot move six million people in a couple of days.
0: Um, so, getting back to the numbers, as far as uh, damaged or destroyed homes, uh, the current numbers that we're looking at are 185,000 homes, you know, here in Houston and the surrounding areas, and we're expecting that number to rise. There's been more than 13,000 people who have been rescued in the Houston area, and there's an estimated 42,000 or so people in shelters um, in Texas as of Friday. FEMA's provided 1.9 million meals that have been distributed across Texas, and then as far as the uh, kind of like the economic I, don't know, I guess, effect or what the total rebuilding cost of, of this is going to be is I've seen numbers as high as 170 billion. I've seen some as low as 100 billion. So we, we got one that's right in the middle about 125 billion, which is surpassing the damage that Katrina caused, which was 110 billion. So this would make it also the most costly. Yeah, Jake. Game, I, I don't want to uh, mean New to interrupt, history. but just
2: to jump back to your water, the water figures, I saw a stat that Katrina dumped 6.5 trillion gallons. So the amount of water that, that Harvey dumped wow. was. You know, more than three times the actual rainfall that that fell on uh, on New Orleans for Katrina. Insane. Yeah,
1: we live through it, though. And this is you're, you're right, Jake. This is going to be the most costly natural disaster in U.S. history.
0: Patrick, you wanted to talk about the shelters? Yeah.
2: So um, mo- most people have, you know, they, they evacuated, but there's still need for for shelters. Uh, I, there are some great resources out there. Uh, I would say the number one to keep an eye on uh, if you have Internet access is to go to the Texas Hurricane Center, which is Texas.gov site. Put a link in the show notes, but that is kind of the all-encompassing information. It talks about shelters, road flooding, just a number of, inf- uh, just a wide variety of information around the storm. Another good one for transportation is going to be the Texas Department of Transportation, texdot.gov, and that's going to give you more about the road closures and where you can get to, where you can't. Um, other information about evacuation routes. The one I found, I took took a little digging, but um, I liked the most, was a uh, Sketch City site that somebody decided to make. And this has a list of all the shelters around all, all throughout Texas. But not only does it tell you what shelters are open or closed, but it tells you what the shelters need. So if you're looking to volunteer or if you need to give anything, this uh, we'll put it all in the show notes. It's sketch-city.github.io. And it goes through. Um, you can just... It's an interactive map so you can see where the locations are, and then there's a, a scrolling bar to the, to the left that tells you, you know, how many volunteers they need, the supplies. Some need food, some need cleaning supplies, others need, need clothes. This is by far, I think, the most useful for a quick. If you want to get out there and help or you need to go somewhere, you can also check the shelters, you know, what their capacity is. Um, it, it definitely is not the, you know, the center for where you need to get all your information from, but it's a good supplement resou- supplemental resource for anybody out there that either needs a shelter or wants to help give back.
1: Yeah, you know, Patrick, one of the things I just, and we're gonna talk about this at the end of the show, one of the things I find just so heartwarming about this whole event, all this tragedy, is the fact that so many of the shelters don't need supplies anymore, and they don't need any more volunteers. I mean, everybody just jumped up, chipped in what they could, volunteered their time to the point that we took care of our own before the federal government even got here. So hats off to all those shelters. You know, George R. Brown's one big city right now. Um, I heard there's movie theaters in there for the kids. There's a grocery store sets up. I had a, a group of women here in Houston that has hair salons went and volunteered to cut people's hair. You know, you don't think about stuff like that, but other people do, and it's important to help these people get back to a, a normal life.
2: Yeah, and, and look for the rural shelters. Look for the ones that aren't in the major city centers or with the largest church or, you know, the the ones that have the, the weight behind them, they're like Mark said, they're getting the supplies they need. They've got a, a, any number of volunteers. I would say it's the ones out more in the rural areas that aren't getting a lot of the media attention that are going to need the extra supplies and volunteers. So ha- have a look at the map and, and take a look at it.
1: Paige, you want to roll in? Because I know you did a bunch of work and a bunch of research on additional ways that uh, people can get help.
3: I Basically what I did is I went through and just looked at kind of Stuff like like rumors. There's so many things that have just been blown out of proportion. You said earlier about the fuel shortage. Well, I found a link to uh, the FEMA website where it's Hurricane Harvey rumor control. And you can tap there, click on that link, and I'll have all that in the show notes. And you can go see if it's true, and it'll explain thoroughly everything about that. And then I also included Drive. Texas.org, so that goes back to what Patrick was talking about. You um, know, Texas Department of uh, Transportation. So that's a great resource, also, to, if you need to go through town or so on and so forth. And I think somebody from the Houston Chronicle created a Google Google map that showed every single street that was still flooded, and I think it's pretty up to date. So that's in there. Is that too. the Google Crisis Map page? And those that, that, is that, that the the were also a
2: f- Google Crisis Map. I yeah, think Yeah, I, I found so. that as one as well. And I think that's, it could that's be. probably going to be a good one for road closures. I wasn't sure about the uh, the accuracy of the information. I, I tended to stay more towards the government entities. But, yeah, I did find that one as well. So, uh, google.org slash crisis map slash 2017 dash Harvey. Yeah, uh, please, again, yeah, we'll please, people. If you're here yeah.
1: in Houston and you think about going back to work, please check your route ahead of time. It's not worth getting hurt.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, and then I also included uh, Louisiana des- or, uh, disaster resources from the office of the governor. Then I had put uh, found a couple of links that you can go on to uh, the Gulf of Mexico activities statistics update through uh, Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement and check out and see what's going on currently. Um, and then we have the United States Coast Guard 8th District Heartland Newsroom, and uh, that pretty much will update everybody about which ports in the Gulf of Mexico are open or closed. And then, um, of course, you know, with the fuel shortage rumor, um, I also included a link to the Texas Rural Commission um, in their response to that. Ryan Sitton actually went live, I I believe it was on Facebook, uh, with somebody from the Texas Tribune to explain that. And uh, I believe those links are also in there. And then... Hurricane Harvey Impact, uh, Louisiana Department of Natural Resources Office of the Coastal Management, and anybody that has uh, a CUP and doesn't know the status of that right now. So that should be helpful.
1: Yeah. All great links uh, page found for for y'all to figure out what's going on and what you can do to help and and where the truth is and stay away from these rumors. Y'all know one rumor that I think is true?
2: Which? What's that?
1: That during the storm, I walked out of my driveway into my street and there was an alligator sitting right in front of my house.
3: (laughs) They always find the Cajuns, don't they? <laughs>
2: yeah. And I'm sure Mark had to wrestle it into submission. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I, I did wrestle it in submission, but literally it weighed about three pounds. It was about eighteen inches long, so it wasn't that hard to do. Um, <laughs> we, we, we may put the picture in the show notes just because it's funny. Um, so you know, you know, hats off to, to everybody out there that's done so much during this a tragedy during this crisis of a storm. Uh, have a little bit of uh, lightheartedness here. We're getting ready to do some uh, giveaways here. So we have our winners. So Patrick, who's our winner?
2: This week's winner of the Red Wing Offshore Bag is Ian Condi. Ian's an HSE manager at Baker Hughes. Congratulations, Ian. For your chance to win one of these awesome bags, go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. We pull one lucky winner a week. See official site for rules and details. All right, so Jake, for oil and gas this week, who's our winner?
0: Emily Goodwin, drilling engineer at Chevron. Congratulations. You're this week's winner. If you'd like to win your own Red Wing offshore bag, uh, just go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. No purchase necessary. See official sites for rules and details.
1: All right, so if you enjoyed this podcast, and we've had this on all three, so we've had this on oil and gas this week, oil and gas H, S, and and oil and gas industry leaders, all of our podcasts are in one big family, Oil & Gas Global Network. Go check out com for all of these podcasts, for our future podcasts, and we are accepting submissions for you from you and your company if you'd like some exposure to our large global oil and gas audience, and we're charging you nothing for it. So I want to thank uh, Paige and Jake and Patrick. You know, this has not been um, an easy time for us. We took a little while to get this show out. Hopefully, you found the show useful. Um, in closing, I just want to spend a minute in time and talk about harvey heroes so one of the things i found just amazing about this is the number of people that just came and volunteered to help these are true heroes so we had the cajun navy this is a bunch of volunteers from louisiana who drove across the state line during all this stormy weather on their own dime paying for their own fuel with a bunch of boats and they came and started rescuing people we had a bunch of jet skiers in texas come out and go out and start saving people's lives um, we had uh, um, Amanda Labov, um, who turned herself into a one-woman call center and, and started um, organizing um, people and taking calls and sending rescue teams. She did this all by herself. She wasn't trained to do this. And then they had a bunch of stories of human chains where people linked arms and they rescued people. One formed a Wednesday to help pull a woman out of a truck because she was going into labor. And then the other thing is not only are there so many people out there out there saving people, there are people out there saving animals. Um, they're saving horses that are trapped in cages. They're saving cats, which hate water, swimming around, saving dogs. And all of the shelters that I know that I've heard about are letting people bring their animals with them. I just think that's really cool. Um, a lot of our journalists who have out there in the in the weeds with everybody, also lending a hand. And then Mattress Mac. If you don't know who Mattress Mac is, Mattress Mac is, is a – celebrity here in Houston because of the way he does business he opened up all his furniture stores um, for for shelters for people that need shelter and he also did it for the um, the National Guard so they could have a place to sleep and dry out right and he did this on his own dime um, they had a bunch of bakers they got stuck inside a bakery here in Houston so what did they start doing they started baking so they could feed the storm business, uh, the storm the v- victims of the storm Our buddy Anheuser-Busch, you know, the Budweiser people, the Bud Light people, they stopped making beer and started canning water. And they got to transport all that stuff here. And then there's a local grocery store here called HEB who just went above and beyond. They brought in their portable uh, cooking units. They're able to feed 8,000 people a day. Um, They had their stores open. Even sometimes where they only had five employees just to help people get food so that, that everything w- would be okay. So there's been a whole bunch of heroes in this storm, and it's just it makes me feel good to be an American. It makes me feel good to be a Texan to see people come here and volunteer their time, take risk to help other people, total strangers they don't know. So from all of us to everybody out there that was a Harvey hero, we want to say thank you. Y'all ready? One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we're in this show with a moment of silence uh, for all those that uh, lost their lives and for the people out there that are struggling to rebuild their lives.
3: That's it.